Welcome to a very special episode of All About HR. Our guest today, Jason Averbrook, joined us live at the HR Tech Conference before his closing keynote speech. We were cut a bit short because Jason's such a great guy. We were approached with somebody with a lost wallet, and we spent the remainder of our time recording to help this person get their wallet back. And we, happily reporting, succeeded. Part two comes to you from our normal studio in Denver, Colorado, to finish up the conversation. Thank you for joining us. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Let's get to it. Welcome to All About HR. I'm your host, Tom Horn, and I'm on a journey to learn about all things HR. I'm documenting my conversations with thought leaders, HR professionals, and real employees about everything from recruiting, workplace of the future, benefits, you name it. We're all about HR. Let's go. Welcome back to All About HR. I'm learning all about HR live from the HR Tech Conference here in Las Vegas. I am exceptionally excited to welcome our guest today. He is the founder and CEO of LeapGen, whose function is working with enterprises and vendors around the world to drive digitization of the people function. Welcome, Jason. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here, and thank you for having me. And welcome to uh, Vegas. Yeah, this is my first uh, my first conference. I'm not your first time to Vegas, though, right? Definitely not my first time okay. to Vegas. Okay. This is my most responsible trip to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say for me, during the the pandemic situation that we're in, it's my most responsible trip to Vegas as well. Um, yeah, there that's we go. actually been my most productive trip. Excellent. I'm not sure if that, those two go together or not. Probably in some way, weird way. I always hope they do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You haven't even, so you're about to do your keynote this afternoon, Mm -hmm. and you've already had your most productive uh, conference out here? Oh, yeah, my keynotes, when I do it, when I deliver a keynote, the biggest thing that's important to me about a keynote is that you're able to add some value to someone's day. And I always like doing keynotes towards the end of an event Mm -hmm. because what you do is you try to summarize. You try to gather the moods that's been that have happened over two or three or four days, you know, into a single few words. So um, yeah, so like the keynote is the summation. It's the kind of final part for me. It's the final call until we're all lucky enough to see each other again in a few months. I look forward to this afternoon and. For getting back together in a few more months yeah, from now. Yeah. Um, no, that's great. I always like to start. I, I want to get into some of the themes and some of what we're hearing and, and what everyone's talking about here at HR Tech. But my first question to everyone is, what are you listening to right now? Well, I'm listening to you ask me questions. <laughs> that's also a pretty good answer. <laughs> uh, I mean, are you into any podcasts? You listen to audio books. Is there a podcasts. favorite band? I, I know there's some music on your uh, Friday uh, meetup uh, uh, discussion. Mo- Music to me drives mood, and mm-hmm. podcasts and knowledge to me drives passion. So if you combine the two of those, like I listen to a lot. So I love podcasts related to learning from others, their successes and failures, and what's driven their successes and failures along the way. So um, you know anything that Reid Hoffman does, I'm a huge fan of. Anything that Andreessen Horowitz does, I'm a big fan of when it comes to business. And then music, there's so much music that 
depending on your mood, I'm just I'm a huge fan of '90s music. So uh, yeah, that's great stuff. My wife jokes. So she's like, "You like '90s stuff?" I'm like, "Dude, it's the stuff that excites me. The stuff today, I can't even understand what people are saying." So I'm old. Are we talking like Third Eye Blind? Yeah, it's like Matchbox Twenty, Green Day. Green Day. Yeah. Oh man, Green Day, Dookie yeah. album. Yeah, yeah. Still so, one of my favorites at of all the start time. Start of my keynote today. There'll be some of that. All right, I, man, yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. All right, let's dig in. So. You put out a video on uh, LinkedIn, and I encourage everyone to go out and find it. But it knocked me out of my well, out of my bed. I was laying in bed uh, listening, <laughs> surfing this morning. But it was just so direct, and it was so powerful. Um, that's definitely where I want to start the conversation. And the conversation is really about the now of work. Tell me about that. Tell me about what led to that video, and and, and really what's gotten you so fired up about um, you know where we're at with the now of work. So the thing that, the thing that led to that uh, to that video was really a discussion with multiple organizations around the world, enterprises, saying they can't make the case for change. That's it. That's. I mean, it's very simple. And for me, I don't get it. And you probably heard I said it in the video. Yeah. I said that exact phrase. I don't get it. So if work has changed, if workers have changed, if business has changed, if the way we communicate has changed, if our empathetic selves have changed, if we were closer to mortality, if we are closer to mortality, if all that's changed, how can we as a function not change? Right. I don't get it. So that that's what led to that, which basically, you know, uh, um, as someone whose job is to try to move an industry, mm-hmm. for me, um, if you're not going to change, get out of the way. Because everything yes. about your worker has changed. Every, I mean, everything's changed. Everything's so, changed. Like, yes. like if you're going to keep doing stuff the same way, it does that. That's as I said in the video. That's the definition of insanity. Absolutely. So how? So what are some of the things these leaders were saying as to why they couldn't justify or see the business case? Way. But that's we've not a business case. Well, no. The business case is that it's working. Yeah. So you know, if if I'm able to get people paid. That might be enough for some people. If I'm able to make sure I know people's name and address, that might be enough for some people. And, and that's cool. Like If that's what right. you say, if that's what you put a stake in the ground on and say, you want to be great at getting people paid, you want to be great at knowing people's name and address, awesome. But if, you're, if you say that, and then on the other side of your brain, you're also saying, we really want to focus on how do we engage people. We really want to focus how we retain people. Yes. You know, we really think that there's this dumb thing called the great resignation going on. You know, all of that, I can explain why I said dumb in a few minutes if you'd like, but, you know, all of that stuff being said, like, if you really want to do something about that, that's not just getting people paid and storing their name and address. And if you need a business case to deal with that, like, you're right. working in the wrong company. Because if your leaders, who you're trying to make a business case to, not an HR case, which is oftentimes a problem, yes. a business case, as to why you think you should be tackling those issues, if your leaders don't get that, you know, either A, you're working in the wrong company, or B, they've never seen it done well before. Are you able to, I assume this is yes, but are you able to change some of those leaders' minds? Um, and the ones that you can change, how do you get them there? Do you just show them? They're like, here, look, again. So one of the biggest, the, one of the most, so first of all, no, you can't change everyone's mind. You know, eventually people will change. That just happens mm-hmm. naturally over time. But HR is one of the, 
people, HR, the function, is one of the oldest professions in the world, next to the one here in Vegas. <laughs> you know? So that being said, there hasn't been a ton of change in a lot of cases. We're still doing performance reviews the way we did performance reviews 50 years ago. I mean, we might do them online, right? but we're still doing them. The one to five, yeah, yeah. once a year. Yeah. And people still say this is stupid, mm-hmm. and it doesn't add any business value. But guess what? We're still doing it that way. We're still storing name address. We're still asking people where they used to work, where they went to school, what they want to be good at when they, we hire them. But then we ask them again once we work with them. So overall, we're still doing a lot of things the way we used to. And one of the hardest things and the most important skill that the function needs right now is the concept of unlearning or adaptability. How do I adapt? How do I unlearn and really focus on what do I need to do now, right now, in order to deal with the various types of things going on in a workforce that has more things going on than ever before? So why, I mean, I know part of the answer, but why is now? Everyone's the future of work. You're the now now. Like We need to do this now. Um, why is it so important to focus on the now and not where we're going, but take dude, action we're right bleeding. now? I mean, we're bleeding. Right. Like We've all been on the front lines for 18 and 24 months of, of multiple pandemics, health pandemics, social justice pandemics. Like We're tired, we're exhausted, we're yep. bleeding. It, what's the future? As someone that people oftentimes refer to me as a futurist, like, I can't tell you what the future is. Right. Like, I've been talking about this, where we're at right now, since Y2K. That we'd be wearing devices on our wrist, that we'd be, employees should be able to do things themselves, that we may want to measure how people are feeling instead of just once a year asking them, you know, to judge them or rate themselves on a one to five scale. I've been, we've been talking about this for 20 years. So like enough talking about the future. Yes. We must talk about the now. Because right, if we don't talk about the now, there is not gonna be a future. And that's not just hyperbole, like, right. that's true. The, our function right now is at an inflection point where we're creating a movie. And we're gonna look back at that movie in 2025 and say, what did we do? Did we act or did we somehow just sit and wait for the future? Because that's what we've been yeah. doing. Yes. We've been waiting for the future forever. And but, look where it's gotten us. We're drastically behind. It's 2021 outside of work. What year does it feel like inside of work? Most people will tell you it's 2000. Yeah. It's, and we've been waiting for the future. Creedence Clearwater Revival. I think, has the song, Someday Never Comes. Yeah. Uh, so they've been talking about that since, yeah. since the 70s, since and, the 60s. But the days, did, the days are here. Yeah. Like, now it's our turn to act on it. And that's what, that's what that video that you're talking about, which, yes. you know, that was just a concept. It, it was just frustration. Because so when you put your whole life into moving an industry, which I have done, and to have people say that we can't make the case, for our employees. Like, that's like a knife through the heart. I can imagine. Yeah. And that's all I can do at this point. Yeah. While we're imagining how to move them forward. So, back to, you know, the performance management. Specifically, what are some things, like, why is everyone getting that wrong? Like, we know it's, we know people are trying now. We know there's some really good vendors out there um, in the space. 
Um, but we also know a lot of organizations aren't ready to move. Like, why are we so stuck on this performance management piece? Well, this seems to be one of the hardest pieces to move. You're actually asking the question. You're actually answering the question in your question, which is, why are we stuck on this performance management thing? Why? Why? Why do we do it? Is it even necessary? Right. Why? To gauge. Yeah, I'm, I don't, you're right. Like, what is, yeah, you're actually like, asking, you're answering the question when you're asking me why. Yeah. Like, why do we do it? Like, we, do do we do it because it? back in the 1960s, it was necessary as part of union contracts to make sure that I was allocating pay equitably based on a rating of one to five. That's why I did it. And we're still doing it. Why does it get so much pushback? Because the rest of the world doesn't work in a once a year mode. Like, I don't ask people once a year how they are. I don't tell my kids once a year that they did great at the baseball game today. Yeah. And only tell them 11 months after the game. That's not gonna do any good. No. Like, we live in a listen and act, listen and act world, and the performance co management construct a, it doesn't, most people say it adds no value anyway. Business leaders do it because they have to do it. Right. Because who told them they have to do it? HR. So you already hate it, right? Yeah. It, like when I was in management, I would always push back. I talk to these people, I talk to my team every day. I, right. Like I know how, they, like they don't need me to sit down once a year and make this some big official thing. Right. And I hate doing it and it takes a bunch of time. And guess who doesn't ever look at any of it? Right. So when you say why is it failing? And why is this such a big problem? You have to start with the why are we doing it and think about what would, what would serve the value or the outcome that you're trying to achieve. But it's really important to ask what that outcome is that you're trying to achieve before you can answer the question. Okay? If the outcome is to check in on people, okay? that doesn't, that's not a performance review. That's a conversation. Yes. You know, if the outcome is to allocate pay, you know, and that's a combination of a conversation versus maybe you have to stack rank people against something. That was the end of part one, our conversation with Jason Averbrook. We'll be back for part two right after this quick break. All right. It is time for the HR hot sauce with Jason Averbrook. Jason, are you ready? I am ready. All right. What is the best job you've ever had? The best job I've ever had is the one I don't have yet. Ooh, that's a good it's the one. next one because it's one that I'll create. But that's beautiful. The combination of all of the jobs that I've had are truly my best job because I've learned so much from everyone, whether it be a front desk clerk at Embassy Suites Hotels to starting three companies to selling companies. Like every one of them together has been my best job. That's probably the best answer we've ever had. What's the one phrase at work that drives you nuts? Hierarchy. Ooh, yeah. um, hierarchy to me is a... Thing that blocks people from success. Do you like working on rainy or sunny days? Both. I like working. I love it. How can someone make your day at work? The best way someone could make my day at work is to say that I added value. Excellent. Best useless skill. I'm not. A, I'm not very good at this hot sauce thing. I don't think because <laughs> I, I would say I, if, if I if I have something that I would consider a skill. Yeah. Which means I would be somewhat proficient at it. Yes. It wouldn't be useless. Medium, mild, hot, or nuclear? Medium. Finally, favorite interview question to ask or be asked? How are you? I'm great, thank you. And that's a great question. Yep. And this was HR Hot Sauce. Back to the show.
All right, we are back with Jason Averbrook recording uh, remotely. I'm here in Denver. And uh, Jason, where are you uh, calling in from today? I'm live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Fantastic. This is probably one of, this has to be one of the better seasons in Minnesota right now. You know, the fall season when you actually can like breathe in and not have humidity, not breathe in a mosquito. And not have your lungs freeze. Um, that's the best time you're right. Yep, that's uh, it's the sweet spot here in Denver as well. So, first question: How are you doing today? I'm green, green, Tom, green. green. <laughs> um, I love it. It's Monday. Uh, successful weekend uh, parenting my boys who are 17 and 14. Every weekend you can be successful with that is a uh, one step to greener. I hear um, that. So, uh, yeah, everything's great. Excellent. Yeah, that's uh, I since the conference have been asking that question a lot more. I know that came up as a is a really important question, but at, at the root, why is that such an important question that you should be asking folks? You know, Tom, I think I think I said probably in my speech that it's the most important question that people can ask people. And the thing that's really interesting is that it, it, it has to be asked in from an empathetic tone. Not just in a, we so so often say, hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? And if someone, you know, based on their response, it might be the same response, both positive and negative. We might be, oh, okay. But it, asking that question really gets you into a mindset of listening. And in in my experience over the last 18, 20 months, the number one skill that any of us can be and to bring to the table as humans is listening. So, you know, that's what starts the conversation. Um, you know, and from that point, it's amazing what happens because, you know, you want to celebrate people's highs. You want to celebrate people's lows and help them with that. But most of all, you just want to celebrate people being human. And uh, a question as simple as how are you, Tom, you know, does an amazing job at that. I find that, in in most of the time when I ask that, I have to ask that twice because I get the, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's good. And then I, because I'm asking with intent, I go, no, no, really? How are you doing? How, like, how was the weekend? And when I ask the second time, people go, oh, okay. He's actually asking me, I think, because they're so used to just kind of that surface, like, hey, how's it, how's it going? And are not even expecting to listen to an answer. Well, Tom, I think the other thing that's really happened is that, you know, we've had this, you know, great realization, quote unquote, that, um, you know, we're all a little more mortal or immortal than we ever thought we were. Um, and because of that, knowing that you've got people in your life that are willing to ask that question, and as you just stated elegantly, re-ask the question sometimes because, you know, people don't actually think you're serious. And to actually show that you're listening and to do something about it, we're all going to be better as humans if that's the case. Uh, it's one of the things I take away as a huge silver lining from um, COVID, the COVID pandemic, mm -hmm. is that, you know, we all kind of learned that, <laughs> you know, life is more fragile than ever before. And we have to be more agile in fragile times than ever before. Agile and fragile times. Uh, I, I I love that quote right there. I don't know if I've heard it before, or maybe it's just sticking out more now. But I think that's I think that's awesome. So Thank you just touched on something uh, that, in part one, you talked about the Great Resignation 
is a dumb thing. And you talked about it in your keynote, but I think you just touched on, you know, now I've got the cheat sheet. I've seen your keynote. You just touched on some of that answer. Can you kind of take us full circle on on why the great resignation is a dumb thing uh, from your purview? So first of all, Tom, I oftentimes say dumb things myself without explaining. So saying the great resignation is a dumb thing was probably taken a little out of context. What, what I was trying to help people understand is that uh, things like the great resignation, things like financial crises, things like uh, mental health pandemics, things like global health pandemics, things like social justice pandemics, those things don't just happen. Like there's actually causes to those things. And when all we do is focus on the what's happening instead of the why is it happening, sometimes we're not solving the, the, the root problem. And when I, so my statement about the great resignation being stupid is not actually that it's stupid. That it was that we're not solving the right problem. It's not that people are just all of a sudden resigning. Like we want to go back one step on the, on the equation and say, why are people resigning? And why are people resigning is because they've been awoken to this fact that, hey, there might not be a work-life black and white line anymore. It may be a work-life blend and it may be just life and part of life you work. And what you do, what do you bring to your work? Your life. And what do you bring to your life? Your work. It's really just one thing. It's life. We're humans, which is one thing. And it's life, which is one thing. So great resignation isn't just people going out and just resigning because all of a sudden they're resigning. What people realized and they kind of a great awakening or a great realization is that we've realized that we deserve to be treated well. We deserve to be able to bring our life to work. We deserve to have a safe space to have conversations. We deserve to be able to say that we're gay or straight. We deserve to be able to say whether our kids are artistic or not. And if if an employer doesn't offer that in today's world, and I, I mean that today, like October 2021, different than October 2020, Yes. In today's world, if people, if organ, if organizations don't realize that, people are going to resign, and that's what's happening. That's what's causing the great resignation. So it's that. It's the fact that people are not going to get paid minimum wage to do shitty jobs any longer. Excuse my French. It's that people aren't going to work for managers and leaders who don't treat them well. It's that people are going to worry more about checking up on you than checking in on you. It's people that are going to do more to monitor your productivity than enable your productivity. All that stuff. There's there's probably 15 variables that are causing what is being dubbed the great resignation. And all of those things are things that we need to change. So what I want people to do and why I said it was stupid is not just say, oh, my God, great resignation. Like, OK, let's go back a step and understand that the great resignation is happening because of us. Because of the way we pay people, the way we treat people, the way we create safe space for people, the way we drive culture, and that we now, in the now of work, have an amazing opportunity to change that. But I really appreciate you asking the question, Tom, because, of course, what happens in a headline after you give a speech? All it says is, Averbook says, great resignation, stupidest thing he's ever heard. <laughs> like, 
it's not the stupidest thing I've ever heard. What it is, is that it's the stupidest thing to try to solve without understanding the inputs that go into it. A hundred percent. I mean, in my world with collecting employee feedback and actioning employee feedback, so many organizations that are just starting this or haven't really, you know, evolved to the, the now of work, they're focused on the outcomes and we're constantly having conversations about well, what are the drivers of those outcomes? Like understanding your outcomes. That, yeah, that's great. Our outcome is the great resignation, but what's driving that? What are the pieces that are driving that? Cause you can't fix your outcomes without fixing what's driving those outcomes. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I love, I mean, that's why I totally love the conversation that we're having. And I totally love that conversation about the great resignation. Um, but what, what we don't want to do, and this is my fear, you know, and thank you for allowing me the opportunity to be on and talk about my fear. My fear is, is that we have a great resignation, quote unquote. What do we then do? We do great. We go into the great acquisition of talent and we don't change anything. And then what do we have? We just have a flow through basically. Yes. Hiring, leaving, hiring, leaving, hiring, leaving, hiring, leaving without realizing that the great resignation is not a point in time. It's something that's been building up for a long, long time. And now is our time to actually do something about it. Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. And one of the things you talk about is that conversation. So how do you, how can organizations make that transition from later from leaders, just collecting feedback or getting feedback and really having conversations uh, that can be more meaningful and start pushing back on some of these, uh, some of these forces. Well, I think it's making, I mean, I, I shouldn't say, I think, I know it's making sure that my assessments aren't assessments. You know, I, I actually think that assessments make an ass out of most HR functions. I've never said that before. Another strong statement. I love it. I truly do because you know, and the reason they make an ass out of the HR function is not that the HR function doesn't care. It's that the HR function gets so caught up in the assessment data, so caught up in what it's meaning, what it's saying. Like, all I really want as a manager or a leader is, do I want to bring an umbrella to work? Or should I be careful driving? You know, it's not... Is there a high pressure system merging with a low pressure system that means, you know, at four o'clock traffic's going to be bad? Like, I don't care about the high and low pressure system. All I care about is, do I need to make sure that I plan differently? And what I want to make sure that I'm doing from an employee standpoint is making sure that I'm listening and then providing data and information, but more prescriptive to my managers and leaders saying, hey, you know, Tom is a red today. Now, I'm not telling you you should have a conversation with him, but as a good leader, I hope you know that you it would be wise to have a conversation with him. And you and, as a human want to have that conversation. Yeah, and, and you probably are already. So it's, you know, when I think about how do you change, you change by listening and acting. That's the definition of change. Listen and act, listen and act, listen and act, listen and act. If all you do is listen and never act, then you're t- it's tone deaf. You know, it's, it's anti-change. And what people do is that instead of opening up to you more, 
they close to you. So for me, it's all about how do we make sure that the HR function or the people function, however we define it, is constantly listening, but not using the data just for itself. Like, hey, guess what this data shows me as I look in the mirror that I'm okay as an HR function. No, 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 no. I want to look in that look at that data and have it not look in the mirror, but look out through a window and say, I'm going to go tell this manager and leader or teach this manager and leader how to have a constructive conversation with their employees based on this data. The more I can do that and change the narrative from doing things for myself as a function to doing things for the managers and leaders, the bigger impact I'm going to have as a function. A hundred percent. Absolutely. And getting outside of your own view and being able to evolve that to a more global or organization-wide view, the more effective you're going to be. And then it's going to cascade back down from there. I think similarly, you know, you talked a lot about digital does not equal technology. Uh, there's a lot of talk of, you know, these HR leaders going, Hey, I went out and got this technology. It's going to get me this data. We're on our way. Can you talk a little bit about why that's not necessarily working for everyone and what organizations can do that are starting to adopt the technology to really ensure that technology is part of the solution, not just a tool that they have. And so one of the things that's really interesting, there was a tweet this morning that um, I jumped on the back of. Um, and I don't do this that often. In fact, I actually think really carefully before I do. Um, but I had to bring it up. And the tweet basically said, COVID is driving HR tech spending. And it, it ties back into your question. Don't worry, I'm getting there. The, what I jumped on is that digital transformation is what's driving HR tech spending. And that came as a result of COVID. So it's not COVID that's driving HR tech spending. Does that make sense? Yes. Like COVID as a disease is not driving HR tech spending. What's driving HR tech spending is the realization that every company in the world had to rethink work all at the same time for the first time ever. And they had to, and they all realized that they needed to be more digital and digital ready. That, because technology is one aspect of digital, is what's driving HR tech spending, not Makes COVID sense. in its sense. So COVID, once again, back from a, a reawakening standpoint, made help people realize that it's 2021 outside of work yet it feels like 2000 inside of work. So we better now do something about that. And that's where digital transformation is coming to play. Digital is a combination of four attributes. It's made up of mindset. It's made up of audience. It's made up of journeys and it's made up of technologies and solutions. And if you take a whole digital approach and a digital first approach, what you realize is you say, well, it's not just about buying the latest technology. It's about making sure the organization's ready. It's about making sure I understand how my people will work, not want to work, but will work. It's about making sure that we realize that processes generate data and journeys generate feeling. And feeling is more important than ever when it comes to adoption. People say, why is no one adopting? No one's adopting because they don't feel good when they're going through the journey, okay? And they may not feel good because it doesn't mean anything to them. They may not feel good because it's hard to do. Who knows what, why? 
But if they don't feel good, they're not going to adopt. And then lastly, the technology is just there to fuel the transformation, the change. So, you know, it's really important, you know, when I say who owns digital HR, people oftentimes say IT. I'm like, it's not true. It's wrong. Digital is owned by the function. IT is there is to take a component of digital, which is technology, and use that to fuel the transformation that the function's going through. I think we need to somehow get this into a weekly thought. Well, you have a weekly meetup. Uh, so I, th- I think that's step one. But that is a baseline that I think so many buyers um, or HR organizations starting to invest in technology are missing. Just that that deepness of thought with the approach and the eyes wide open of what those tools will actually do for you and then what you need to do with them once you get them. So it's, we do it all the. I mean, I hate to say this, Tom, but we do it all the time. I mean, uh, uh, this coffee right here, like so, Starbucks, for example, digital transformation leader. Like, not a lot of people know this, but Starbucks has you know one of the largest bank accounts in the world based on how many people use Starbucks cash, you know, and your Starbucks wow. wallet to buy Starbucks. Um, but you know, as an example. Uh, during COVID and even now, they don't have enough employees to open their stores. So what have they done? They have a great app to order a coffee online. You know, and what do you do? Sit in the drive-thru line to wait for your coffee. When the drive-thru line is 40 deep, as it was this morning with this, like, seriously? Like, I'm waiting in this line? Why can't I just go, like, use my two feet and go in? You know, and the store's closed because you don't have enough workers. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like the technology worked. The technology worked fine, but things upstream didn't work in the digital chain. And therefore, all of a sudden people are like, oh, my God, it's great that I have an an app. But if I can't get my, you know, if I still can't get my coffee, it doesn't do me any good. And I think that's the realization that experience is much more than just technology related. And that's great being able to put it as you have into those contexts where I can better understand really these bigger concepts, but in a real, um, you know, in a real situation that I can understand better. Uh, just about, I, I believe you're talking about the Uber or Uber. Uh, they've got this great app, but what if a motorcycle comes and picks you up? Um, that's, I mean, the technology worked, but... There's a lot yeah, more to it than just technology work. Think about dating apps. I haven't done you that know? in a long time. So, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, in. no, but I mean, if you think about it, dating apps, like what if the dating app is really, really cool um, and, hey, it hooks you up with someone, you know, but then all of a sudden you meet the person and it's not anything, the, pic- the picture is not the same, the conversation is not the same. Like it had nothing to do with the con- you know, what happened in your using your app you're going to say the experience wasn't good or, you know, these tools that try to match you both from a candidate standpoint or a relationship standpoint, you know, they might be great tools, but at the end of the day, when you get together, like what, like good tool, still bad experience. What's your overall experience going to be? Not good. So it's how do you, you know, in my keynote, as you know, what I said was the F word, you know, how does it make you feel? 
And, you know, technology needs to make you feel like you're on a journey and that the value to you is so intrinsic, so intrinsic that you're like, I'm ready to come back. I'm ready to do it again. That's how the best apps work. And it's how the best employee facing tools work in today's HR world, which is no longer an HR world. It's really a work world. Work world. Again, I think I could just do a podcast of just these examples over and over, just getting people to get really start, you know, understanding this. So taking this and just, and just really quickly, Tom, you know, that you're, by the way, I'm happy to do that if you ever want to. But the, the thing that's really fascinating about the discussion is that the technology, like, and I, I think I said this in my, you know, we have better technology than we've ever had as an industry. But the technology will never be successful until people realize that to make technology successful is not just implementing it. It requires these other components around mindset, around audience, around how does, what does the journey look like? Because if all I do is stand up a piece of tech and implement it and go live, guarantee you, like the chances of success are very slim. Going live is the end of the journey for so many folks. Um, and with your view and with the view of actually getting to outcomes, it's the beginning of a journey. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, wait, I walk, I mean, I'm looking out my window. I, I walk across the street to home Depot. I buy a leaf blower, right? I get the leaf blower. I have the receipt. What do I do? Go home, put the leaf blower in the garage, never plug it in, never open the box. What's the success? Minimal. Yeah, I got my leaf blower. I'm live, right? I got my leaf blower. And a pile of leaves blowing around into your name. And a pile of leaves, right. So that's the exact same thing. Like I'm buying technology. I'm getting it. I'm getting it home. You know, it's ready. But I never go do anything with it. And that's a tragedy. I mean, we waste billions of dollars as an industry because of this, we just focus on the go live, the just getting the leaf blower home, instead of realizing that the way my measure of success is, is whether my wife says, wow, the driveway looks great today, <laughs> you know, or whether, wow, I feel like a sense of accomplishment because, you know, people can park in the driveway without walking on wet leaves. Sorry to use that weird analogy, but um, yeah, I'll take it. Life, That's good. The real life analogy at the moment. Um, so I, we talk about a lot. How do you treat these technology investments like pets, not like rocks? You know, you have to walk it daily. You have to water it daily. You have to pick up after it daily. You know, it's all continuous improvement. It's not just put it in and you're done. You can't set it and forget it as uh, one famous marketer uh, uh, became famous for. Yep. So tying this all together, leap gen, you know, I've seen you do keynotes. I, I follow your thought leadership um, across LinkedIn on your Friday meetups. But how do you take these thoughts, these perspectives and and use LeapGen? And how does LeapGen actually come in and help organizations um, you know, make those transitions? Um, what's Tell me a little bit of LeapGen's approach uh, just to kind of wrap this back uh, full circle. Because uh, yeah. I'm just curious and I'd like to know a little bit more as well. Yeah, so we there's really, I mean, our business is really simple, um, and it's really important to just, you know, I'll just explain it really quickly. I mean, we we have two, we work with two audiences. We work with enterprise clients, and we work with enterprise software vendors. And our goal is to make sure that those two bodies 
are moving the industry up and to the right. Enterprise clients need to know what vendors are doing and thinking and what the latest technology is that's available. And enterprise vendors need to know what CHROs and practitioners in the HR space are thinking about so they can build products that meet them where they're going. Those two things combined is what drive our business. So about 85% of our revenue comes from working with you know, Fortune 1000 organizations, helping them think through their people function and understanding what they want to be great at versus what's it okay to be okay at and how do they drive digitization, not technology only, digitization, yeah. which is made up of those four things, remember? And then we work with vendors to help them understand, guys, you can't just develop tech and, and put it in. You have to actually develop technology that shows outcomes. You have to develop technology that's prescriptive to people. You have to develop technology that says, you know, if my engagement rate is trending downward, what should I do as a manager or leader? Because I, as a manager and leader, when I hear the word engagement, I think someone's getting married. <laughs> we in HR, you know, think all the time that, oh yeah, everyone knows what engagement is. You know, but I mean, if you actually Googled how many times is engagement used, you know, with the exception of us HR geeks, it's used outside of work, you know, for a right. different, completely, completely different purpose than how it's used inside of work. Um, so, I mean, we have to be able to translate it into the language that our, our workforce speaks. So we work with organizations in helping them develop strategies, deploying those strategies, which includes technology, and then thinking about how do we sustain that? And the sustainment is where the optimization, the, what we call run, optimize, innovate comes into play, ROI. That's really where the value starts to show up. That's fantastic. That is, that seems pretty on the nose for where we're at right now. It seems very valuable, um, as is your time. And I, I just want to say thank you so much for, for meeting with me at HR Tech Conference. I love the keynote and I really enjoyed uh, uh, the, this follow-up conversation as well. Yeah. And Tom, just one more thing. Just, well, you know, at our HR tech conversation, you know, we were interrupted multiple times, you know, yes, and we one, were. yeah. And one of the things I love to think about in life and you, it probably people will think I'm weird, but I'll just share it anyway, is that, you know, we all have to live in today's world. As I said earlier about being agile and fragile times, we all kind of have to live with an elastic waistband, not that I'm wearing an elastic waistband, but with the concept that, you know, there's times that we need to stretch. There's times we need to flex. There's times we need to suck it in. Um, there's times we need to suck it up. And, you know, not everything's going to go as planned. And that's work and that's life. And, you know, we've learned that more than ever. And the organizations that are successful in driving digitization and digital transformations, if they love enough what they do, it gives them energy. If they have energy, they can do the audacious and then they can prove value. That's what LEAP and LEAP Gen stands for. And I truly believe that's where we are. In, you know, and I just want to thank you for showing that same love. Uh, because to you know stick with it, realize that someone's vacuuming while we're trying to record, realizing that someone lost their <laughs> wallet while we're trying to record, realizing that all of a sudden I have to go to a lunch while we're trying to record. You know, you have a love towards the space. So it's, uh, it's great to be a guest on the, uh, on the show and uh, look forward to many more opportunities. I appreciate it uh, more than you know, and uh, look forward to the next conversation, having our paths cross again in the future. Jason, thank you for being with us today, learning all about HR.
Understand, engage, inspire, and retain your people like never before. People Element's employee experience and engagement solution delivers powerful intelligence, giving you the confidence to act. To learn how you can gain a better understanding of your employees, please visit us at peopleelement.com.